this, uh, thank you very, very much again. Uh, this is quite an honor for us and uh, really do uh, hope that it's encouraging, life-giving, stirring, challenging. Um, so I want to shift now um, to um, something else that's been significant um, through the years, and that is the church building, the church planting side of things. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll be taking time with that. I mentioned that the, uh, the fellow, Lonnie Langston, who established our church back in 1973, had a vision from the Lord that our church was going to be like the, the hub of a wheel with many spokes. And so uh, um, uh, I was, you know, we, when we started attending the church in January of 1980, um, you know, I, I didn't have any ambition to be a pastor. That never occurred to me. Um, uh, I, I, it, just never, it just never did. I mean, I love Jesus, love leading worship, love serving in the church, but the idea of pastoring, I thought that was like only special people did that, and I didn't know who they were. You know, I, had, I don't know how you get on that, you know, get on that bus. It never even occurred to me. So I got kind of, you know, brought in, and, you know, the word of the Lord to me for ministry came through others um, and I had to in a sense get a hold of God and get confirmation that what they were telling me really was the Lord uh, you know when when my pastor Tom Wells said you know we want to ordain you uh, I was actually shocked um, and I, I he was I think he was quite surprised because at that time uh, you know I think he expected as you know that I would be very eager and I wasn't um, I didn't know why he would want to do that. Um, I love Jesus. I love serving. But, uh, you know, the idea of pastoring, I say, I, I just don't know. Well, I had to get a hold of the Lord, and I spent time. And t three or four weeks later, I really felt like God spoke to me. won't go into that story. But I got engrafted in. And I got engrafted into an apostolic church planting movement. Um, because I, I certainly, I, I didn't have ambition for pastoring, and I certainly would not have had ambition for church planting. Um, I, got, I got brought into that. So there was this sense of apostolic call on this church in northern New York, and it wasn't even in a town. You know, we have small towns, and it was, it was between towns. It was, uh, you know, just out with a, near a cornfield. Um, and yet this sense that, we're here to plant churches and see God move. So in 1981-82, uh, we started the first church plant. Um, uh, at that time, uh, to this, in, a, in, a, in a town to the north, Messina, uh, there were a good number of people coming to our church from there. It's about 22 miles away. And then right across the St. Lawrence River into Canada is the city of Cornwall, Ontario. And so there were a lot of people uh, from Messina and Can uh, Cornwall, Ontario, coming to the services in this small town of Madrid. Uh, on any given Sunday, uh, you know, you'd go out into the parking lot and you'd find a good, good amount of, you know, Canadian, Canadian license plates. Um, and so in 1981-82, we, 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 we did the first church plant. Uh, in Messina. Uh, the senior pastor then, Tom Wells, uh, he went to the church plant. He felt it'd be wiser for him to go to the new church and leave me behind uh, at the existing church. Uh, and so I stayed behind uh, in Madrid. Um, then in 1985, we planted a church to the west 
about 25 miles in the, in the city of Ogdensburg. It's a city of about 10, 11,000 people. Um, and in both of those cases, we were able to send out fairly good-sized church planting teams. The first one to Messina was around 70, 75 people. To Ogdensburg, we sent uh, well over 50 people uh, to be part of the church plant. Uh, so that was 1981-82 with Messina, then 85. Eventually, we got a pastor uh, into Ogdensburg in 1987. So we had two church plants um, uh, happening. Now, the model at that time was... To, and I'm going to share, because you're involved in leadership, because you're, you know, you're part of a church planting, really, mindset and apostolic movement, I want you to see the transformation that took place over time for us. Uh, at the time, if you had asked me what kind of church I was a part of, I would have said proudly independent. Um, you know, when, when, I went, when I went to, you know, conferences and people say, you know, what kind of church? You're, you're Methodist, you're Episcopal, whatever. I'm independent. Um, and I had no box. I mean, other than kind of like a relational thing, I had no box for some of the New Testament language that actually was there, but I didn't see it. You know, it's funny. We don't, there's stuff in the Bible. We just don't see it. Um, you know, I didn't have a box for the idea that the Apostle Paul told the, the church at Corinth, I'm coming. You don't have to invite me because I'm coming. You, you get to decide whether I come with a rod or in love. That's your choice. That's the only choice I'm giving you. Um, in our independent mindset, we were basically starting these churches, creating separate not-for-profit corporations, and in a sense, spinning them off with the hope of relationship but not understanding that maybe there was a sense of an apostolic company that God wanted to forge that would keep us together. And sadly, over time, and it doesn't take long, um, we went different directions with both of those churches um, uh, to the point where we hardly have any relationship with them now. Um, uh, very, very sad. So, but we thought, well, that's still the way to do it. Um, didn't know any better. So in 1992, uh, we started two more churches, one to, the, one to the east about 35 miles, one to the south about 25 miles in the towns of Moira and Ridgefield. So we had a perimeter of about 25 to 30 miles where we had churches to the north, south, east, and west. Um, and the plan, again, was to simply spin them off as separate not-for-profit corporations get them established, and hopefully um, just things would work out better, um, would be able to maintain good relationship. Um, and here's what happened. Um, the church to the, to the east of us, Moira, just grew very, very slowly. Um, and so I was involved very actively there for quite a few years. Uh, eventually, we got a pastor in. He, he ministered very wonderfully for several years, but then he ran into some problems. So it just never seemed to be ready to be spun off as a separate church entity. The church to the south, we had a good pastor. He was one of the elders at the, uh, the hub church, Madrid. Um, and now he's pastoring, uh, you know, down in, in Richville to the south of us. And after a number of years, I said to him, his name was Ford, Ford Reynolds. Um, great brother, 25 or so years older than me. Um, very seasoned, good man. I said, are you ready for us to 
establish, you know, your own not-for-profit corporation. Um, we'll get you all set up. And he said, he said, no, he said, I really like working with you. He said, I want to do that. He said, I, I really like what we have. I like your part in the church. I like knowing that you're part of this uh, in a very, very integral way. I said, okay, I, I figured that was temporary. So a couple of years later, uh, I approached Ford again. And I said, Ford, um, uh, is it time now? Shall we start, you know, a separate not-for-profit corporation and get you set up and all that? Uh, he said, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, I was surprised. Um, and I thought, oh, okay. He said, no, I, I like working with you. What we have, there's, uh, there's something very, very special about it. He says, I need, to, I need to know that you're part of this. I said, okay. Uh, so uh, two years later or so, I went to Ford again. <laughs> you're, I'm a slow learner. Uh, uh, I went to Ford again. This time his wife, Sarah, was with me and, uh, or with us as we, as we met in their, in their home. And I said, you know, uh, we were covering a number of things. I said, now, one of the things I wanted to talk about was setting up a separate not-for-profit corporation. And uh, Ford said, yeah, I, I don't think we need to do that. I like what we have. What we're experiencing is really, it's really good. Um, and then Sarah, his wife, looked at me. Um, and Sarah said, uh, Pastor Rick, she said, I love my husband. He's a wonderful pastor, but I need you. And if you spin us off as a separate not-for-profit corporation, I'm done. Because <laughs> I need you in my life. In other words, I don't want to do this without you and what the rest of the team of elders is bringing us. And I said, okay, I think I'm getting the message now. Uh, there's something going on. There's something healthy. There's a, there's a sense of an organic construction of an apostolic company that I didn't have a box for as my, you know, card-carrying, flag-waving, independent church guy. Um, uh, but I went with it. And, uh, and then the church to the east, uh, they're still struggling to really get momentum, so I'm still involved there. So, so now we've got both churches. So then in 2010, 2011, we start the next wave of church planting, which is two churches eventually that were about 10 miles away from the hub church. So we had churches at about 25-mile radius, four of them, and now we have two churches at a 10-mile radius. Uh, the first one in 2010, 11, was the one that Pastor Daniel Paladin now pastors. And uh, uh, so we talked about the construction and direction. And lo and behold, he wants to stay connected as well. Not only does he want to stay connected, he wants to keep the same name. Um, we're Christian Fellowship Center in Madrid. He says, I want to be CFC Potsdam. Uh, what we have is really very, very special. This sense of connection, uh, it's really a God thing. It surprised me. Um, I come from a background, you know, the 70s, early 80s, where anybody in ministry, they wanted to get on their own as fast as they could and kind of like forge their own path. 
And this sense of this apostolic company is, it's kind of like coming to me very slowly. So then in 2016, we started another church uh, 10 miles away in the town of Canton. Uh, our son Jamie is the pastor of that, and they have followed suit. In other words, remaining part of the Apostolic Company, uh, and in Canton, again, using even the same name, Christian Fellowship Center Canton. Um, we talk about the idea that this is an interesting arrangement. Um, and by the way, I don't think you can take the principles and the stories of the New Testament and boil them down to a polity manual that is so crystal clear, it's like, you know, just use it. We're always put in a place, and I think this is God. This used to frustrate me that it wasn't clearer. Well, God, why didn't you make it clearer? Why didn't you make, you know, apostles and local church, and how is it that Paul's telling Titus, appoint elders in every city? That's not the way independent churches do it, folks. Um, why didn't you make it clearer? And I was frustrated. I would, I, would, I would have those conversations with the Lord. Why didn't you, uh, on many topics, why didn't you make it clear? I want to say on this one, I think the Lord has left us in a place where we are, if we are not humble and desperate on an ongoing basis, it's bound to fail. You have to be humble. You have to be desperate. You have to, in a sense, lay a hold of the heart of God to walk these things out. There's no manual, no manual of church polity that's like the perfect reduction of the New Testament. I haven't seen it. I don't, th I don't think you can make one. So this relationship of apostolic ministry and local churches and local churches together, we clearly see it in the New Testament. In, in 1980, I didn't see it. I just understood independent churches. Now I look at the New Testament and I see it's obvious, this sense of connection. You know, uh, there's a, an outpouring um, in the city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And what happens? You know, Peter and John head over. And they bring something that uh, Philip wasn't bringing. There's this sense of synergy as they're, as they're working together. I mentioned Paul telling Titus, Titus, appoint elders in every city as I've commanded you. You have this sense of the church. There's a sense of fluidity. There's a sense in which it's organically unfolding as we have this connection. And it's hard to boil down sometimes the flow chart of whose responsibility is here and where does it end and where does it start and I don't know the answers to those things. All I know is what we're experiencing now is we've got uh, the Madrid Church and four other churches that are still part of the same not-for-profit corporation. We're still legally attached. Finances are accounted for individually within that. But I and the pastors and the elders of all the churches function as a as an apostolic collegium. Um, we defer to one another in areas of emphasis, in areas of, of calling, in areas of strength, in areas of special, you know, abilities and anointings. Um, we're now in the midst of a, you know, kind of like I'll call it the, the pre-launch of a church uh, in Ogdensburg. We're actually launching again where we launched the church in 85, 86. Um, that, uh, that went very, very poorly after they broke relationship with us 
And that happened fairly early, 1990. Um, uh, and so that church actually a month ago just closed down. And uh, so we're, we're relaunching there. Um, the idea is we're doing it as an apostolic company, an apostolic team. Now, we, in our staff meetings, when I'm with the pastors, and by the way, to me, it's a, a delight. I'm an absolute delight to, to work with this team. Um, it's really wonderful. Um, so every Monday, we have an extended you know, time. All the pastors gather together from the different churches. One of the things we talk about is, is the model we have, is the construct we have, is it enduring for the ages? And I think we've all concluded probably not. Things will change, but when they do, we'll address them. Yeah. When it's time for us to make a change, uh, you know, uh, in some measure, we'll, we'll address that. But the big driving motivation is kingdom of heaven. Is this facilitating kingdom growth? Is this facilitating the making of disciples? Is this facilitating the raising up of ministry? As long as it's doing that, we'll just keep riding this wave. We'll make changes as we go. Uh, so the idea is that, and of course, we're geographically close enough now, still, uh, the next wave of church planting will probably be farther away. How that will work, we're not exactly sure. Um, but right now, with churches that are within 35 miles of the center, so that means you know, maybe 40, 45 miles, 50 miles of each other, um, there's this sense of shared leadership, shared vision, uh, shared resources. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful blend of a lot of things. I mentioned the, the pastor's gathering. One of the things we do, by the way, is... Um, and, and we decided to, uh, to uh, I felt it was important, especially when we started in 2011, the church in Potsdam. Uh, I preached in a number of the churches for, for a few years, getting them established. Um, but eventually, I've moved back seeing others raised up in the ministry. Uh, so Daniel Paladin, he's pastoring the Potsdam Church. Ben Lewandowski um, in Madrid. Eric Trelise is on staff uh, with, uh, with Daniel. And David Tullock is on staff uh, with Ben right now. In addition to that, there's two other pastors that weren't able to make it to the conference. Um, we generally don't have scripted or coordinated messages. Um, Daniel, I hear you're doing an amazing series in the book of Luke uh, right now. Um, and, you know, the pastors, in a sense, I've placed on them the burden of praying this stuff through, of trying to figure out what's God doing. Uh, now, every fall, we have a, uh, a special Bible campaign. I'm going to mention this because it's, I think it's potentially a great resource for any of the churches, um, wherever you are. But what we do is every fall, we take for seven Sundays, um, we take a book of the Bible. And in all the churches, we study that book of the Bible. And we combine seven Sunday morning messages along with six small groups meetings at homes uh, and then a, a daily devotional that everybody in all the churches is reading together. Um, this past fall, it was really exciting. We did the book of Judges. Um, and... Uh, I felt like I felt like that's the Lord. Lord wanted us to do the Book of Judges, and then as we got closer and closer to doing it, I thought, "Why the Book of Judges?" 
Um, this is going to be hard. Well, one of the one of the benefits is we dive in, and for me and the other pastors, not just them, it's me too. We go through a little bit of a continuing education process. So one of the brothers in one of the churches, gifted, gifted teacher, we basically had him teach us the book of Judges so that we could then digest it and then, in a sense, deliver it. Uh, on top of that, he helped us to put together the small group Bible studies. He helped us to develop the 40-day reading uh, program for all the, all the members of all the churches. And a really, in some ways brings a sense of cohesion in addition to other things we do, special events and things like that. But primarily the pastors are, they're, they're charged with getting the mind of the Lord for what God's doing in their congregation uh, and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to give you a picture of, of what's happening. Uh, in 2016, I primarily moved away from regular pastoring. Uh, at that time, there was a pastor in each church. Sadly, we had a church split two years ago. One of the pastors left. And so I've, during the pandemic, stepped, oh, I even mentioned it. I try, I was going to try to not even mention the pandemic this whole time. I've done good. Um, uh, I stepped in, and I'm working at that church on a regular basis now. Um, but generally, my role is now to work with the leaders, to work with the leadership team, and then I'm involved in uh, ministry outside the area as well. So that's, that's some of what's happening. The, the driving heart in it is not to perpetuate our form. It may work for decades to come. I don't know. You know, at a recent staff meeting, my son, Jamie, who's, you know, he said, basically, Dad, this is working great with you. When you die, I was like, Jamie, um, come on, we got to work on your people skills. I mean, just, he says, well, really, Dad, when you die, I don't know if it's going to last. I, I don't know either. We'll work on that when we get there, decades from now. They'll, they'll work, that's right, they'll work on it. I'll have nothing to do with it. Um, we're not trying to build a structure. We're building people and the kingdom of heaven. Trying to build strong churches, raise up disciples. So the goal, we ha always have to keep, uh, keep the, you know, the, the end in mind. Um, we're not trying to build a structure. We have a structure. The structure is meant to, in some ways, facilitate what we're doing. In 2019... We did an overhaul of our church bylaws, um, partly to reflect the idea that we've, our, our structure has morphed. Um, and so in, that, in the bylaws, there's language that describes my role as, as an executive pastor, the role of the local church pastors, the role of the elders, things like that. In addition, uh, we decided to include at that time language uh, and, a, and a whole section uh, that we felt was very significant for the culture of our culture of our day and that is uh, statements on marriage and sexuality uh, things like that so we we brought that into our bylaws and the revision we did in 2019 so um, that's some of what's happening um, I mentioned the uh, uh, you know the sharing um, uh, you know, the idea of this apostolic company is really, really quite special. Um, Daniel, I know um, 
you've spoken to me very, very um, passionately about the, the strength that you've received pastorally from this sense of, you know, apostolic company. Can I put you on the spot? Come up here with Frederick. You're fine, as long as, long as he's fine. Um, sure. <laughs> By the way, the reason you heard people are loving that series on Luke is that's, that's why I told everybody, you gotta tell Pastor Rick. It's a great, people are loving a series. Um, yeah, a few, boy, it's probably around six years ago now, uh, I went through a really, really dark season in my own life. And uh, one Sunday morning, um, Brietta was out in the car with the kids and uh, waiting for me to come out and get in the car and go to church and, and do the things, you know, preach and all that. And uh, she came back into the house and, and I was just sitting there weeping. And I just, I was, I was just kind of done. It's fried. I was, I was at the end of, you know, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, I definitely ran out of the grace that was in Daniel. And, uh, and, and I was, I just was kind of done. So in that moment, you know, Brietta, as we were driving to church, she said, either you tell Pastor Rick or I do. Yeah, Dad, she said. She said, either, either you tell him what's going on or I call him and tell him what's going on. And I said, well, I'll schedule a meeting. <laughs> so I, I, sh I shared the next day. I just, I said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm just not healthy. I don't know if I'm just not approaching ministry right. I just, I'm, I'm fraud. I don't like people. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's bad. It's not a good situation. And, uh, and he, he said, uh, he said, tell you what, effective immediately, you're, uh, you're taking a sabbatical. You're taking a break. Um, uh, we and the other brothers were going to step in and, uh, you, you know, go home and, and get healthy. And of course there was a lot more to it than that, but I really don't know what would have happened if I was, a, an independent, uh, I, I think I probably would have just quit. And, uh, you know, I probably would have got up the next Sunday and said to the church, you know, I'm done and, and, and bye. Um, now thankfully, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, um, that became a season where I really found the Lord in a, in a new way, realized there were some things I was doing that were quite simply not sustainable. And so the ministry, your ministry and the other brothers just coming alongside and, you know, taking care of things. I, one of the things I had to learn was that, you know, I wasn't keeping the universe spinning myself. And so when I stepped away and the church did well, you know. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Um, the, uh, so there's a, a mutual support uh, that comes uh, in these kinds of relationships. Um, uh, I mentioned the sharing of, of resources. Um, the homeschool ministry that I mentioned earlier, that's a, that's a combined ministry of the various churches. Um, uh, the, 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 the hub church, Madrid, very interestingly, the, the church out in the cornfield um, uh, burned down completely back in 2001. And uh, 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 we ended up buying an old elementary school. And so we have this great facility. And so that's where the homeschool ministry is. 
Actually, the loss of the old building was a, it helped us. Um, uh, please do not be suspicious of me. Um, I, I had not. <laughs> but it was like one of those, wow. At the time, we lost everything. When I, it burned to the ground, everything. Um, there, was a, there was a chimney standing. And, and the cement steps that led up to nothing. <laughs> um, um, and uh, it was a really difficult time, but we ended up going from, it took some time, but we ended up going from a building of 20,000 square feet on six acres with a small indebtedness, and it was all too small anyway, to a building on 55 acres, 45,000 square feet, and money in the bank. I mean, there was a process, but it was like, and we have all these classrooms, we have a gymnasium, we have a stage, we, it's really quite amazing. So that building becomes a great resource. So we do most of the homeschooling there. So every Friday, uh, you know, that's a shared ministry. We're all, we're all part of that. The pastors from the different churches, uh, to the extent that they can contribute to that, they, they certainly do. Um, this uh, this Saturday, um, uh, Daniel's Church, the Potsdam Church, is going to be hosting uh, a worldview conference. We call it Blueprint. Blueprint is the term we use for our parent training conferences. Uh, this one is on worldview. We're having, a, maybe you know the name Neil Shenvey. Uh, Neil Shenvey uh, is a, somewhat of an expert on uh, on worldviews in particular, on understanding the, uh, the, the difference between a Christian worldview and a critical race theory. Uh, so he is going to be joining us through live stream. Daniel's church is going to be hosting that. So you have, you have a sense of shared, shared resources. Um, uh, Eric is involved in college ministry. So we've got two campuses in Potsdam, two campuses in Canton. And so he helps to minister to all four campuses in different ways, and he and my son Jamie uh, partner on that. Um, ben Levandusky helps oversee youth ministry for as many churches as want. There's a weekly youth gathering, quite dynamic, uh, where the churches come together. Uh, some of the young people from all the churches come come to that, as much as as much as they're interested in and, and able. So there's this sharing. Um, a few years ago. Um, we were in prophetic presbytery, and one of the one of the brothers uh, saw a. Uh, he said, I, "I see a picture." He said, I, "I see three buildings." The Lord wants to uh, set up three buildings, and the first building was leadership development. The second building was youth ministry. The third building was an arts program. And right about that time, uh, you know, Darlene was getting some really fresh ideas regarding the arts and. Uh, around that time, we were, we were, you know, in our early 60s, uh, just seeing our last son graduate from high school. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of my peers saw their last child graduate from high school, like, way back, you know. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, uh, our son Merrick graduated from high school when I was probably 64 or 65, you know, just a few years ago. Um, and... Uh, uh, and we're getting fresh vision for the season in our lives. We decided to downsize, move, move out of our um, uh, big house with a lot of maintenance needs, move into an apartment. And she heard this prophetic word about the arts building. And she said, I know what that is. 
And I was like, yeah. Um, and so now she has helped pioneer the arts program of Northern New York, which is a cooperative of all five churches, um, where we're providing uh, vocal instruction, dance instruction, theater instruction, I mean, all, all kinds of things, lighting, sound, um, and it's just, I mean, it's just the potential is amazing, and what we're seeing is the next generation just like, I mean, they're just, their jets are getting fueled. Um, and again, that's just a, it's a shared ministry of all, all the churches. Um, and so what, in northern New York, what probably most independent, small local churches couldn't do, we're doing things together. And as long, again, once again, as long as it serves the greater vision of disciple making, uh, we'll continue to, continue to do this, this kind of thing. So um, I'm trying to give you a picture of something. Um, for us, it happened organically. Lonnie Langston in the 1970s had this vision. Um, you may be in a different context. You may be in, a, in an independent church, and the Lord has brought you to NRP. In a sense, I want you to see something, that there's a biblical basis for apostolic company. I don't know where all the lines of responsibility start and end. You know, how is it the Apostle Paul says, I'm coming? No invitation. I knew there was something wrong with our first two church plants when I didn't, I wouldn't, I couldn't go unless I was invited. That's a problem. Now, I didn't know how to structure it, you know, in terms of bylaws and all that, but it's a problem. It's a problem to not be able to go to a church you planted and say, there's trouble here, and I'm here to fix it. So we've got to find this. We need the Holy Spirit's help in it. We need to stay humble. We need to be deferential. Um, but I think the idea that we're not called to exist independently, but that we're called to exist in some sense in, as an apostolic company really becomes key, and we're working that out in, a, in a, maybe a a way that's unique in northern New York, but all of us in some ways are trying to work that out. Um, uh, anything else I should say? That was meant to be my introduction to my 45-minute message. So... Um, <laughs> um, I'll just give you the outline, because you're students of the Word of God. Galatians chapter 1, chapter 2. Um, as Paul begins speaking to the Galatians about some of the issues they're facing uh, regarding false doctrine uh, that, has, that has crept into the church, um, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we find some very significant insights into f values that shaped the early apostolic leaders. I'll just give you these as an outline. You make notes, flesh it out, because it's all, it's all right there. Um, and I find chiefly four values that shaped the early apostolic leaders. The first one is captured 
in Paul's words in Galatians 1, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. There was a tenacious clinging to biblical truth. Saints, I want to encourage you, this is a day when there's tremendous warfare against the truth of God's word. It's coming in all manner of shrewd forms. We must cling tenaciously to the word of God. Preach the word. Second Timothy chapter four. Whatever else you do, preach the word. Preach it unashamedly. Preach it boldly. Cling to the word. But notice the apostle Paul says something very significant about what I'm going to call kingdom loyalty. He says, even if I come to you preaching another gospel, don't listen. I believe one of the problems we can, we can have, and this can have on, happen on a number of levels, we can forge alliances that transcend kingdom loyalty. I see a lot of people get into trouble with this. Their best friend goes off the rails in Christ, and they cling to their best friend going off the rails with them. There's a point at which we have to say, I'm sorry, you're off the rails. Jesus was approached and told, hey, your mother, your brothers, sisters, they're, they're outside waiting for you. Jesus gives this interesting response. You know, I, first time, you know, I read it, I thought, well, that was quite disrespectful. <laughs> Who's my brother? Who's my mother? In other words, it, 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 in the culture I came from, I was like, what's he saying? He's basically saying my deepest loyalty is to God and to those who are willing to follow God. That's where the kingdom loyalty lies. So that's point one. Second point, as you get to the end of chapter one in Galatians, is that there's a willingness to be corrected in areas of foundational thinking and doctrine. Chapter two, verse one, Paul says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. This is an amazing thing. He has gotten revelation like he can't even utter. It's indescribable what he's seen in Revelation, and yet he says, but I submitted it to the apostles. In case, in case I've been wrong, and he says very wisely, he says, because if I've been wrong, do I want to continue to be wrong? <laughs> you know, if you've been wrong for 20 years, maybe it'd be better to change. <laughs> Get corrected. This is a humility. Then this is key to understanding, and I mentioned humility before in terms of working out apostolic relationships, there's a humility in this from a man who could say, listen, none of you can hold a candle to my experience. Let me tell you, I heard the voice of Jesus, you know, I mean, he talked to me. I saw things and I was caught up to the third heaven. So don't tell me anything. This tremendous humility. Saints, we need people in our lives that we're going to be that vulnerable to. Hey, I've got this new revelation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's test that one out first. 
Let's test that one out. So that's number, number two. Point number two is a willingness to respond in areas of foundational thinking. Number three, if you look into chapter two, verse seven, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcision had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcision was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Third point here is that there's a deep respect for the ministry call on others. Now, I'll give you a, a, a you know, point number four in just a moment. Paul's going to rebuke Peter because Peter's playing the hypocrite. But what we find here is he says, I have deepest respect for Peter. By the way, I want to say um, what I have found in my time just the last two days among you, an esteem of one another that is so godly and so healthy, it almost brings tears to my eyes. Joe Warner picked us up at the airport. He took us out to lunch. And I'm telling you, I heard your names and what God's doing in your lives and in your churches. And as I'm meeting some of you last night and today, I'm kind of like, I'm putting together with what I heard from Joe. There's this sense of esteeming one another. Saints, keep it up. Keep it up. I know we're not perfect. I know you're not perfect. None of us are. We don't, we don't have to blab that. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't gain anything by putting other people down, but the esteem you have, keep it up. In spite of Peter's failure, which we'll talk about in a moment, Paul has this tremendous esteem for him. He's the apostle to the Jews. Wow, amazing. So number three, respect for the ministry call on another's. Number four, willingness to be corrected in personal conduct. I won't read it. Peter was playing the hypocrite. Um, Paul's, Paul's going to get in his face. Um, We've got to be correctable. By the way, anytime you receive correction, it doesn't feel good. Um, at least for me, it doesn't. Maybe it does for you. <laughs> you need prayer. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, you know, it, it generally doesn't feel good to be corrected. Correction doesn't feel good. Um, and a lot of times we say, well, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Oh, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time either someone around me or I said that. It never feels good. You know, look at this situation. How does Paul go up to Peter in a nice way and say, big fat hypocrite? Let me do that in a way that makes you feel good. There's no feel good option here. You just got to do it. Be correctable. Be hungry. One of the great scriptures we learned as a family Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. In our home, I've got 23 seconds here, by the way, I see it. Um, in our home, you weren't allowed to say the word stupid unless you are quoting Proverbs 12, 1. If you don't love correction, you're stupid. We'll take a break. Mike, God bless.